continue our series on Sunday evenings, having uh, this thought, having the right standing with God, and uh, Romans chapter number four. Now, uh, I realize from even my own personal life that there are certain portions of the Bible that uh, we will shy away from, and the reason we do that is because oftentimes it might either be uh, something that's a little bit harder for us to get a hold of without really doing some studying and spending some time, uh, or it may be something that is very heavy doctrinally. And uh, the book of Romans, especially the first eight chapters, can be uh, a very heavy portion of the Word of God. But the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. That means we, we need to make sure we're not skipping certain portions of the Bible. And especially when, when you think about this, and I, I've mentioned this, it's probably been a couple months now as we began this series on the book of Romans, but I want to keep this in front of you, is that the beginning of the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 8, and tonight we're going to finish chapter 4, that those chapters, those first eight chapters, are very very heavy, doctrinally speaking. But we've got to get a hold of what the first eight chapters are about. We need to know what we believe in order for us to get to chapters 12 through 16, which is how we live it out. It's the, the practical side of the Christian life. In other words, look, if we have all this head knowledge, we know what the Bible says, but in our hearts we don't believe it, then the world will never see the message that God's given to us. We must live it out in a daily basis in our lives. Everybody understanding tonight? So we've got to, we're going to get to the practical side of the book of Romans. And by the way, after we finish the doctrinal section, we're going to get into uh, God's dealings with the nation of Israel before we get to that practical, because we're just going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Romans. And so I, I wanted to kind of set that before you again tonight. Now, as we look in chapter four, I'm not going to back up and read the first 15 verses, but I am going to make some reference tonight to those 15 verses we looked at last Sunday night. And as we began reading uh, last week, we started verse number one, where the Bible says, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, notice this is written to all of us, but notice he calls Abraham our father. And then he says, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. So he, he, he continues from verse 2 down to where we left off last week, talking about Abraham. And I want you to look tonight at the last verses of this chapter, beginning in verse number 16. All right, that's where we'll begin tonight. The Bible says, therefore, it is of what, church? It is of faith. Now, let's look at this. That it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be, what's that word? Sure. To all the seed. Now, pay attention to, to there's so many words, we're going we're gonna to hit on these, but notice, to all the seed, not to that only, which is of the law. Anybody remember who that's making reference to? To Jews. Now he says here, but to that also, 
which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of who? Us all. Now, I hope you're going to start now getting the picture that this is not just dealing with the Jews. This is dealing with everybody. Now, let's read on verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth or makes alive the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope, this is talking about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he, again Abraham, considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Remember, Sarah could not give birth to a child as she was barren. The Bible says in verse 20 about Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in what? He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, who's the he there? God. That God, he was able also to perform. How many of you would agree with that? God is able, right? There's, there's nothing that God has promised us that he cannot, he will fulfill those promises, every last one of them. Verse number 20, 22, and therefore it was imputed to him, to Abraham, for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone. Everybody look at that statement. This wasn't just for Abraham, that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we, notice the phrase, believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our what? Our justification. Now this, again, when we started last week, I told you that uh, you think about so many religions, if I could use the word, so many religions today, here's what they do is they, they are teaching to people this matter of doing instead of done. They're saying you have to do this, you have to keep this, you have to pray this, you have to go to this in order to be saved. But yet the Bible teaches, and Jesus said himself, it is what? It's finished. Does anything else have to happen for people to be saved? Yes or no? No. Jesus completed God's plan of salvation. If we add something to it, then we're saying what Jesus did was not enough. But we all know that Jesus completed God's plan and that because of what he did, all can be saved. Aren't you glad for that? Because I'm going to tell you, if it was up to us, uh, many of us would still be lost. And the reality is, is that what Jesus did would not, would not have completed. We would have had to do something else. And again, so many people 
are living with this thought in mind. What do I have to do? What do I have to keep? What prayer do I have to pray? What church do I have to attend? But in Romans chapter number four, God calls a faithful witness, and I mentioned last week, by the name of Abraham. Now, using the life of Abraham, God allows Paul, the Apostle Paul, this is one of the 13 books in our New Testament that God used him to write the words. And as Paul uses the life of Abraham, here's what he's demonstrating, or God through Paul, that salvation is by faith alone. Faith alone. In other words, there should be no work or no merit that is attached to that. Now, if you notice in your outline tonight, the first two points in your outline are what we covered last week, but it goes right with the rest of what we're going to cover tonight. So I'm going to go through points one and two rather quickly. It's maybe some tonight that were here that weren't here last week. But notice, first of all, he brings up in chapter number four, Abraham's righteousness. Abraham's righteousness. Now, uh, we all know that the Bible says that our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. There's nothing good about us. There's nothing righteous about us. But he talks about the righteousness of Abraham. And I brought up last week, then how, according to Romans chapter 4 and other places in the Bible, how was Abraham saved? Now, one of the verses I gave you, and I gave you more last week, but in Genesis 15, verse number 6, the Bible says this, He believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. In other words, Abraham was saved. He was justified by God. His sins, we talked about this last week, his sins were forgiven by God. And what happened was, is that Christ's righteousness, because we know he is the righteous judge, that his righteousness was imputed or placed on the account of Abraham. By the way, what happened to Abraham happened to you and I when we got saved. Our sins have been forgiven. And the righteousness of God's own dear son has been placed or imputed unto us so that, listen, if you're saved tonight, when God looks at you, God sees the righteousness of his own dear son. See, we have been justified just as if we had never even been a sinner. Now, we all know we're sinners, right? Aren't you glad for the imputation of God, the shed blood of Jesus Christ tonight? It has changed our standing in the sight of God. Can I get an amen tonight, right? So when you think about Abraham's righteousness, he was saved. Well, why was he saved? Well, the Bible says it here in, in Romans chapter number four. He was saved to become or that he might be the heir, the father of all that believe. The Bible tells us that all that believed, that he would be the father. And we read that in verse number one. Now, Abraham, that was his righteousness. He was saved because he, he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But then notice number two, Abraham's inheritance. Now, God says that his inheritance, what he would inherit, that he would be the heir of the world. Now, we, we follow this line tonight going into our third point, And I want you to write this down. What is then Abraham's posterity? Now, if you're familiar with the word, basically what Romans chapter number four is making reference to here is that Abraham is in regarding to future generations, his descendants. Now, I need you to put on your thinking cap tonight because 
uh, what I'm about to share with you is all right here in the Word of God. Maybe you've never looked at it this way, but I'll tell you, years ago when, when I was studying and God gave this to me, I thought, what an awesome chapter this is. What a great place in our Bible to help us understand not only about Abraham, but about all believers. So look at the, look as we look at Abraham's posterity, letter A here, according to this passage, who was Abraham's, and here's the buzzword, seed. Now, we think about this, the, the, the descendants of, the offsprings of, the future generations of Abraham. None of us are going to live forever. So when you search this out, the Bible's clear, when we study his life, there are different aspects to consider when you think about Abraham's seed. And if we're only to consider the Jews, as it mentions, those of the law, then we have not really fully understood what the Bible mentions as Abraham's seed. Because when you look at it, Abraham actually had a threefold seed. Notice number one in your notes tonight, the Bible tells us that it describes an earthly seed of Abraham, and his name is Isaac. This was the son of promise. Uh, Abraham was an old man, and God had told him that he would have a son, and that uh, that son would be the, the son that God had promised to him. Genesis 21, verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son, his earthly seed, the one that was his by birth, that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. Look at Romans 9, 7, and we'll get there eventually, but in Romans 9, the Bible says, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they called, are they all children, but in Isaac, notice he says here, uh, thy, shall thy seed be called. So we find here that he has an earthly seed, just like I am the son of my father, Abraham was the son, uh, Isaac was the son of Abraham. So he had an earthly seed, according to the word of God. But then notice, secondly, that the Bible describes his spiritual seed. Well, who is Abraham's spiritual seed? Well, according to the Bible, it is in all believers. Everyone who puts their faith in Christ would be considered the spiritual seed of Abraham. Galatians 3, 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of of Abraham. So in other words, anyone who has ever believed on the gospel, believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to Galatians 3, 7, they are the children of Abraham. Now right here in our passage tonight, look again at verse number 16, and look what it says again, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So he has an earthly seed. His, his, his son's name was Isaac, but there was spiritual seed. According to the word of God, it is all that would believe. And then look at the third aspect. The third part of Abraham's seed would be considered his single seed. Now, the single seed of Abraham is none other than Christ. Galatians 3.16, look at this. Now to Abraham and his seed, where the promise is made, he saith not, and to seeds, notice that's plural. Everybody see the word there? Seeds, as of many, but as of one, 
and to thy seed, which is who? Which is Christ. So when you look at these aspects, now keep that in mind, look at letter B tonight. So first of all, how did Abraham receive his earthly seed? All right, remember, who was his earthly seed? Isaac, all right? So how did he, according to this passage, how did Abraham receive his earthly seed? Well, the Bible tells us, look in your, in your Bible if you have it open, look at chapter 20, or verse 20 in chapter number 4, verse 20 and 21. Here's what the Bible says. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had told him, that he was able also to perform. So notice here, the Bible says that Abraham, when it came to this, now think about it, if you were 100 years old and you didn't have a child, and God was promising you that you were going to have a child in your old age, I wonder how many of us would, would have staggered at that promise. God, are you kidding? Are you serious? Don't you know how old I am? Don't you know how impossible? Remember, with God, all things are possible. And yet the Bible says that when it came to his earthly seed, he did not stagger, but he was strong in faith. He was fully persuaded. Look, there wasn't a doubt in his mind. He was fully persuaded that what God was, said he would do, that God was able to keep his promise. Look at Psalm 115 and verse number 3. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Notice again how God does what God wants to do. Why? Because he's God. He is all-powerful. God can do anything. God can open a wound that has been closed. And because God is able, Abraham was willing, as the Bible says, I love this phrase, he was willing, notice, to hope against hope. Now, he was weak in the body. I mean, he's 100 years old, right? Although he was weak in the body, weak in the flesh, but as an old man, just like Caleb in the Old Testament, he was strong in the faith. Hey, I love it. I love to see where, now again, I think we all need to be men and women of faith, but I see oftentimes as we get older, and, and the Bible tells us, let us not be weary in well-doing. But sometimes as Christians get older, what we tend to do is, is our faith starts to wane. We used to have strong faith in God. We used to believe that God could do this and that God could, could keep us and God could provide for us. And, and sometimes what happens is, is that as we get older, we tend, our faith becomes less at times, but not Abraham. I'm glad that we've got some folks in our church that although they may be older than I am and getting up in the years, I'll tell you this, we've got some members in our church that are strong in faith, even at their age. Let's be men and women that our faith would not stagger or waver. Let's be fully persuaded like Abraham was as he received his earthly seed. But then notice letter C tonight, how secure in Abra is Abraham's spiritual seed? How secure? Now, <clears throat> again, who is Abraham's spiritual seed? It's all believers, right? Everyone that's put their faith in Christ. Now, without going any further, how secure are you tonight 
when it comes to your salvation. You're pretty secure, are you not? God is not willing that any would perish. When God says he'll give us uh, life, he, he says it is everlasting life. Long, listen, the ever-ready bunny is going to wear out before we will, will, anything happens in our life. So understand, when we think about security, we believe, because it's a doctrine of the Word of God, we believe in the eternal security of the believer. And as we think about that tonight, we see this matter of Abraham. Again, go back to verse number 16, and notice again, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness, oh, I'm sorry, verse number 19, I am, verse number 16, excuse me. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So when, you, when he says here in verse number 16, he's making reference to all that believe. He's talking about whether they be Jew or Gentile. He says to every one of them, they are the spiritual children of Abraham. And they are members, according to the word of God, we are members of the family of God. Because we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile, think about this, are saved the exact same way. There's not one way that this person can be saved and another way that that person can be saved. Everybody is saved the same way. Can you tell me tonight, in the very simplistic of terms, how are people saved? By faith, right? For by grace are you saved through what? through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So when you look at verse 16, look at it again. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be, what's that word? Sure. Now the word sure, here it is, write it down. It means stable, valid, something that is realized. Now it is sure not because of what we have done, not because of what man has done. It is sure because the promise that is made here is divine. It's a promise of God. And notice that as we think about this, the, the Bible tells us that our faith lays hold of that, that it is sure. Our salvation does not rest on the uncertain promise of man. When we see this tonight, it's telling us that our salvation is resting on the mighty covenant of God. See, it's all because of God. It's all because of his son, Jesus. Now look at letter D. Because we've talked about Abraham's earthly seed, Isaac. We talked about his spiritual seed, which is all who believe. But then notice letter D tonight. How did Abraham's single seed accomplish all of this? We'll go to the last verse in chapter number 4. And look what the Bible says, talking about Jesus, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our, what again? Justification. Now this verse tells us that Jesus was delivered for our offenses and he was raised for our justification, Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. The Bible tells us this, that in the fullness of time, 
God sent forth his son into the world. God chose the time, God chose the place, God chose the method. I mean, folks, if we, if we would have wrote the script, we wouldn't have had Jesus in some manger. We wouldn't have had uh, all this lowliness. We would have had him coming with pomp and circumstance. We would have had him riding on a white horse. I mean, we would have had him coming in with fanfare. But that's not the way God chose to bring his son into this world. A very humble existence. But as he came, the Bible says, he came to us that was without strength. We could not save ourselves. There was nothing we could do. And by the way, the description in that verse that he gives of, of all of us is we were ungodly. Look at Galatians 1.4. Talking about Jesus, again, he gave himself for our sins. That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self, you ever thought about that? I sit around sometimes, think about things I read in the Bible. You know, God could have chosen any way to save us. But he chose to send his son. God so loved the world that he gave his most cherished and prized possession. And why did Jesus come? Well, the verse says here that he bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead, just like, look here, just like Sarah's womb, it was dead. She could not have a child. And the Bible says that we in our sins were dead, but look at this, because of what he did for us, because he bare our sins in his own body on the cross, on the tree, that he did that so that we should live unto righteousness. And it says here, by his stripes, by whose stripes we were what? We were healed. Jesus bore our sins. And when I look at that, and I think of so many other passages dealing with the death of Christ, the whole scene at Mount Calvary, I think about this, that what that was, was it was the judicial act of God the Father. He was delivering God the Son to the justice that was required to make payment for the penalty of the sins of the world, our sins. That's why, listen, all those animals that, that were sacrificed, that were offered, the blood of none of those animals could ever atone for our sins. Only Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was the Son of God. His blood was God's blood. And Jesus became the propitiation, the satisfaction that was required by a holy God so that you and I could have eternal life. This chapter is a wonderful chapter, not just for us to be reminded of what we have in Christ, but so that we can help others to understand of what Jesus has done for them who yet have believed on him. Now, Romans chapter number four, when you think of this chapter, it is the great Bible chapter on salvation by faith alone. Salvation or justification, what is it? Last week I mentioned it this way. It is placing the believer back into the same standing that mankind enjoyed before the fall. 
You see, that changed everything. When, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they sinned in the garden, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. That fellowship with God was broken. Separation. They didn't physically die, but spiritually speaking, they were separated. The, the, the Old Testament prophet said that your sins, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And that's what, that's what our sin does. And it, it hurts our relationship with God. And so what, what we see here about justification is, is, is it, it is God, not us. There's no way that we could ever restore that relationship, that fellowship. We could not do that. But Jesus left heaven and came to this earth so that, that God and man could be brought back together again. And that wonderful thought tonight when you realize what justification really is. Now, when we look at it, I'll tell you what justification is not. It is not, a, uh, not making an unjust man just in his life and behavior. Let me give you a few things that justification is, and I want you to jot these down tonight. First of all, justification is a declaration by God in heaven stating that mankind stands righteous in his sight. It's God declaring that. See, we could say of ourselves, hey, I'm right with God. But listen, it's much better when God makes that declaration. Why? Because when God says it, it means something. When we say it, it doesn't really carry the same weight. But when we are justified by God, when we have been saved... Notice again, it is God saying that we are now righteous in his sight. Notice secondly, that the basis of our justification, how it is possible, is the basis is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot be justified without the application of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood must be applied. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Aren't you glad that Jesus died for sins past, present, and future. He died for everyone that day. And so the basis of our justification, look there, uh, if you want to flip over, look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, if you have your Bible open, look at this verse, verse three, uh, 24 of chapter 3, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the basis of our justification is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Notice thirdly tonight, justification or this matter of God declaring us righteous, justification is the reckoning by God to the believing sinner of the whole value of the infinite work of Christ on the cross. In other words, taking in every last bit of what Jesus did for us when he died for us, now listen to this, it is God connecting a believing sinner with the risen Christ in glory. See, again, it's God bringing us together with his own dear son, and that is what justification is. Number four, justification is God giving us, you and I, who are now saved, we're believers, we're believing sinners, it is God giving us the same acceptance before him as Jesus Christ has. When he looks at us, he sees us as his son. 
The Bible says, but as many as believe upon him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. So understand tonight that God gives us the same acceptance before him as has Christ. Number five, justification is God placing us, now it says here, in Christ so that we will be with him for all of eternity. We've been placed with Christ. Folks, listen, that's why so many people teach nowadays that you can lose your salvation. That's not Bible. Because we have been justified, we have been placed in Christ so that we will be with him. Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. He didn't tell that man, hey, listen, once you do this, once you take care of this, once you pay this. No, no, no. The man believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, remember me when thou goest into paradise. And Jesus uttered those words, hey, listen, today thou shalt be with me. See, when we think about this matter of justice, it's a wonderful thing to think about the fact that we have been justified by faith alone. We don't have to add anything to it. Now, before we finish tonight, I missed something, or not necessarily missed, but I stayed with the life of Abraham last week. Now, I want to go back in chapter number four, and I want to show you one last thing. And Really, God points it out, but I just want to bring it to your attention, is that as you look at chapter four, there are actually not one witness that God brings up in chapter four. There's actually two. Anybody know who the other one is? There you go. Who is it? David. So there's two witnesses. Now, certainly we've looked at, and I believe we've done it proper justice, but the other witness that he brings up is David in, in Romans chapter number four. Now, why Abraham? Why David? Well, when you look at the Bible and you go back to the Old Testament, Abraham certainly is the father of what is called the racial line. The racial line. But what about David? Well, David was not the father of the racial line. David, as you study the scriptures, is the father of the royal line. You see, you study David's life. As a matter of fact, look here in chapter 4. Look at verse number 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose Sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So when we look at David's life here, what were the great, there was two great sins that David committed. Anybody remember what they are? Murder and adultery, right? One was with Bathsheba and the other one was, was, was with Bathsheba's husband who was Uriah. And when you look at David's life, you see that these were sins that David forgiven. Now, again, David, just like all of us, were sinners saved by the grace of God. So when, when we study David's life, how was David forgiven? Well, the same way that Abraham was forgiven, the same way that you and I are forgiven by God. Notice that, again, what he says here, David was saved by the imputation of of righteousness, but here's the key, without works. See, David didn't do anything. He just, he just believed 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he did it, verse number six, without works. Now, when you look at these two witnesses, Abraham and David, and there's, there's a little bit more to go into, but when you study these two men, both of Abraham and David in the word of God, especially in Romans chapter number four, here's what you find is they declared, both of them, that they had experienced in their own life justification centuries ago, that they had been justified. Listen, I, I love to tell people that God saved me. I, I tell people a lot of times when I get an opportunity, back in January 22nd, 1984, at Bible Baptist Church in St. Charles, Missouri, God saved me from a devil's hell. He forgave me of my sins. He gave me new life in Christ. He's given me a home in heaven someday. Listen, we ought to, we ought to rejoice in the fact that we have been saved, that we have been justified and Abraham and David, both of them give testimony that centuries ago that they too had experienced the grace of God in their life, that they had been justified, but it was not by their works. Both of them had the righteousness of God or the grace of God imputed on their account or unto them, just like you and I. Now, Abraham, we studied last week, he was not justified by keeping the law. The truth is no one can keep the law, but one thing we discovered last week was this, that, that he was saved, he was justified before the law was given by God. As a matter of fact, 15 years before that. See, if Abraham would have had the law, he probably still would not have been able to keep the law. But as we think about David, then if we look at David's life, David too was not justified by keeping the law either. And it's certainly, remember the phrase that the Bible mentions in the Old Testament and New Testament, David was a man after what? God's own heart. But listen, even being, as the Bible says, a man after God's own heart, that still does not justify him. I mean, there's a lot of people that do things for God, but that doesn't justify who they are. It did not give David the right standing before God. See, the law doesn't have the power to convert. The law only has the power to condemn. And as we look at Abraham and David, these two witnesses, just like everyone that's born into this world, both of them were recipients of the grace of God. Every last one of us, again, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Now, when, when they became the recipients of God's grace, how did that happen? because God was equal to the task, to the need in their life. So when we study the Old Testament and we study the New Testament, what we find is, is that salvation is based on the same principle. And it's mentioned right here all throughout Romans chapter number four. Here it is, by faith. Now that's salvation. Certainly you see that people who, uh, even after salvation, just living their life, you remember how many times Jesus dealt with his disciples, and he said this phrase to them on more than one occasion, O ye of little what? Faith. There were times that even after they were saved, that they were not living a life of faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. It needs to be a life of faith. So early in chapter 4, as we look at Romans chapter number 4, the emphasis is, and, and this is where a lot of people stop short, is the emphasis is being placed on salvation by trying. See, a lot of people are trying to do this, trying to do that. 
There's a lot of religions today that are, that are promoting that. You, you, if you do this, if you do that. Uh, some churches, they, they say you have to speak in tongues before you can be saved. Now, again, they, they don't understand the scriptures. But when you get into this chapter, the farther you get into this chapter, it's, it's really not dealing with salvation by trying. It's actually dealing with salvation by trusting. You see, Abraham staggered not what he believed in God. He believed in the promises of God. He had faith in God. And so when I look at Abraham's life, and I look at the other witness in Romans 4, David, and then I look at the writer of this book that God used, which was Paul, all of them understood and they found that salvation is by faith alone. And can I say tonight in your life and mine that we need to get there if we're not there, and if you are, then you need to hold on to that thought is the only way that we're, we're, we are saved or justified is by faith alone. Nothing added to it, nothing taken from it. Don't ever let somebody tell you that faith is not enough. Because according to Romans chapter number 4, it is of faith and not of works. Aren't you glad that it's not up to us when it comes to salvation? It is all because of God and His wonderful grace. Let's bow our heads tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. It's a Sunday night, and as we face this new week and you think about your life in Christ, again, I told you as we got started tonight, Romans chapter number 4 is a little bit on the heavier side. Some of the things that I studied and saw in the Word of God, and maybe some of that was new to you tonight, thinking about the seed of Abraham. Think about how God certainly, yes, gave him the son of promise. But the Bible mentions the spiritual seed. It is all that believe. He's the father of us all. And then the Bible mentions that his single seed is Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he was offered for our sins so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It is by grace and by faith alone that we are saved. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take Romans chapter number four to heart. Lord, help us to realize what we have and may we be firm in our belief as firm as Abraham was when he was without child and you gave him the promise. I love the fact that even at a hundred years of age, he staggered not, but he was fully persuaded that what you said that you were able also to perform. Do we really believe tonight that we are saved for all of eternity? May nothing ever shake us from that Bible conviction. And, and as we have confidence in the promises of God, it will help us to live not only a victorious life, but it will help us to be bold in our witness to help others to know that they too can have a home in eternity with God. Lord, I pray again that you would help us as believers. Thank you for the rich heritage that we have. In Christ's name we pray, amen.